Well, good morning. I think we'll go ahead and uh, get started this morning. Welcome on this chilly, almost November uh, Lord's Day. It's good to see all of you and uh, good to be back. It's uh, on a little bit of a break. Took a, a trip with my wife and so had a, a good time um, just uh, seeing the fall colors up in Wisconsin. So I'm glad to be back. This is our uh, sixth week, it looks like on my notes, of... Christian ethics or starting points, uh, starting points for Christian ethics. And uh, what I thought we'd do this morning is just, since it's been a little bit, I think, did you guys have a, uh, a combined classes? And uh, perhaps it'd be good to review a bit on uh, what we have talked about and then uh, pick up some new, new material. Uh, so the thought is to review, do maybe a larger review on the goals of ethics, thinking about where we left off um, last time. And if you remember this, there was this quick little phrase, MRI. I don't know if you remember that, but we're going to use this acronym MRI for mutually reinforcing interaction. And we'll get into that here in a second. And then uh, think about uh, kind of an intro to ethical decision making. We haven't really talked about how do we make, how do we, what's the process of making decisions when we think about ethics. So I want to begin in Psalm 1. So if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1, I think this is a good overview, good review of ethics in uh, how one lives, how one walks, how one stands and sits. And so you're familiar with Psalm 1, but let's read that to begin our time. What is the righteous person? What is the righteous man like? Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, just back to verse 3, the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Come on, you can come in. There's, there's room up front in the front row if you want to sit up front. Uh, yielding fruit. I want to get to that a little bit in our time. But let me open in, there's a whole bunch right here too. Let me open in a word of prayer. We can start. Our Father, we're grateful for uh, a new day. Grateful for this Lord's Day that we can gather. Uh, you have given us a day that we can come and uh, worship, 
to be gathered as your people, to worship in spirit and truth, to sing your praises, to pray, to hear your word, to be changed by your spirit, and uh, to fellowship one with another. So we are grateful uh, that you have given us this blessing. It is a blessing. Thank you for those who have gathered. I pray your blessing on them as we attend to the lesson here this morning and thinking about ethics, that you would give us wisdom, you would give us insight, and you would help us as we think of Scripture and we reflect on what it means to live a life of obedience, live a life that is pleasing to you. Uh, may we desire that. May that be uh, on our hearts uh, each day. So we thank you uh, for all that you have given us especially in Christ and in the gospel. And we once again look to Christ as our righteousness and um, see him in faith, see his beauty, and are grateful. So favor us, we ask, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, definitions, let's review. Since it's been three weeks, what does the Bible say? What is our... uh, I started the definition already. What is our definition of ethics? Real fast, if anybody remembers. And if not, I have it in front of me. So, definition of ethics. What does the Bible say about what? Yep. Character behavior. So, we, I go in a different order. I say acts, attitudes, and character traits. Acts, attitudes, and character traits that are pleasing to the Lord, those traits that are pleasing to the Lord, and those that are not. What does the Bible say? Acts, attitudes. So we know it's more than just action. There's attitude, there's character, and we're going to look at that. And we have that on both of these boards. This, the room is set up interesting this morning. So I'm try- I don't know that I'm going to ride on both boards. but uh, So ethics, we said, now this goes way back to the first couple weeks. Ethics is normative. It's a standard. It tells us what we ought to do. And morality, do you remember we kind of talked about the difference between ethics and morality? Morality is, are we achieving that standard? It is what is, not what is ought, what ought to happen, but what is actually happening. And it doesn't mean it could be be ethical or it could be unethical. But it is, morality is descriptive. It's indicative. It says only what is, where ethics is the standard, and it tells us what ought to be. Uh, We spent a week thinking about God's character as the basis for ethics, that it is absolute, that is true for all people, all places, all times. And then we said, well, where do we learn about God's character? What is the source of ethics? So we went to Scripture, and we said that Scripture is our source. It's authoritative, it's trustworthy, it's inerrant, it's inspired, all of those uh, characteristics of Scripture that we think about. And then the last couple of weeks leading up to today is what is the goal of ethics? And the goal of ethics, uh, we said, is the, for the glory of God. We pursue righteousness, we pursue obedience, we pursue ethics for the glory of God. And it was a three-part, um, three-part goal. And I have that on the board. So we have the character goal, the behavior goal, and the results goal. Character, desiring to imitate Christ in our actions. Okay? Um, the imitation, so we said ethics as imitation. Ethics is imitating Christ. The B 
behavior goal, that is obedience to Christ. And the results goal is the fruit. What are the results of these dynamics? All right, and that brings us to where we kind of ended the last time we were together. I want to talk about the, the connection between these goals, between character, behavior, and results. And um, just as you look at those, what would be or what might be some connections? And uh, we ended the class talking about, like I said at the beginning, mutually reinforcing interaction. How do these interact and reinforce one another? How does character and behavior and results work together um, as we pursue Christian ethics? And I don't think we answered that, but I just, that's where we're starting. So, any thoughts on how uh, those connect or how they help each other? Character is the basis for behavior, and then with good behavior, has good results. Okay, character is the basis of behavior. Uh, say that last part, John. Uh, good behavior, you know, typically bears good results. Yeah. So, we would maybe say, maybe produce isn't the right word. Produce might be the right word here, that behavior produces, right? Whatever behavior produces whatever kind of result. Could be good behavior, produce good results, bad behavior. I'm not sure if produce is the, is the best choice of word here. Character, maybe we could say influence, effect. Uh, who, who you are as a person is going to affect or influence your behavior. Would you agree? Generate, produce, maybe that is a good word. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud. <laughs> um, imitating, so our character, if we're, if we're wanting to pursue Christ-like character, then how might Christ-like character influence our behavior? I'm not, sorry for you over here, you're not, you don't have a good angle um, to see that. But let's just use produce, that's fine, I'll take that. Uh, can you think of any examples in Scripture of where this might, any, any characters in the Bible who might reflect this mutually reinforcing interaction? So character producing behavior, behavior producing certain results or fruit. Solomon comes to mind. All right. How, what would be that? How? Solomon. Right, setting up, setting up idolatry for his foreign wives, and then this was really the beginning of the fall of the kingdom. Yeah. Right, it was it was the split into the northern and southern kingdom. It's a great example of how character might influence or produce certain behaviors that will end up with certain results. Certain fruit comes out of that. I was listening to a um, uh, a sermon this week, uh, and uh, th- th- it was on Daniel. And I, uh, 
he, he had the, this brother was actually quoting someone else. So what I'm going to quote to you is not from me. It's not even from this other pastor. Right? He was quoting a commentary or something. But go to Daniel. I think this would be interesting to just see. We know the story of Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter um, 6. And this is, of course, the great story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6. But just an example in Scripture of how do these... Uh, dynamics or these goals reinforce or interact with one another. Who you are affects or influences how you behave. A generic example as you're turning to, to Daniel 6 would be that if I repeatedly tell the truth, if I am a, a truth teller, if I'm repeatedly telling the truth, and then that is helping to develop a habit of truth-telling, which will then have certain results. Uh, you have a reputation for truthfulness. People can trust you. Those sort of things. Does that, does that make sense? Um, so they're, they're reinforcing one another. And the more, that I, the more that I tell the truth, it confirms, and I see the results of telling truth, this confirms that sort of behavior. And this behavior reinforces uh, my character. And there's this, there's this dynamic working. So Daniel chapter 6. You know what happens. Oh, the satraps. They come up with this. They don't know what to do with Daniel. They're jealous of Daniel. Chapter 6 verse uh, 3 then uh, this Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit. Oh, here we already have character. Here we have something internal about Daniel. Uh, an excellent spirit was within him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's interesting. This might be results of an excellent spirit. He's becoming trustworthy. He is someone that the king wants to put in charge of. Verse 4, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was, what's the word? Faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Now that doesn't mean he was sinless, but he has this reputation, this character of being a faithful man. And then they said, well, we're not going to be able to find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection for the law of his God. So they come up with this law. Everybody must bow down, make this injunction for the next 30 days. I'm in verse 7. And if they don't, whoever does not petition you, you alone will be cast into the den of lions. This is the law of the Medes and the Persians. It cannot be revoked. So King Darius goes along with it. Now look at verse 10. When Daniel knew... That the document had been signed. <laughs> what did he do? He went up into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. How? Just as he had done previously. He didn't close the windows. Uh, in fear, he knew that the document had been signed. And here's the, here's the quote that this brother, when he was preaching, he quoted, the, he made this quote. Speaking of Daniel. His consistency, speaking of Daniel, Daniel's consistency assisted his courage. 
His consistency assisted his courage. His discipline fed his faithfulness. Now he was a man who was accustomed to doing as he had done previously. He just this was who he was. This is what this is the kind of guy he was that Daniel was, and his discipline. Right? If we see um, behavior as action, habits, uh, obedience, his consistency assisted his courage. They were working together for him to just continue to do what he had always done. It's not going to, well, there's a law out there that says if I don't bow down, I'm going to throw the lines in. But I'm just going to keep praying to the Lord. You see that? Any thoughts on that? Any questions? I, I, was, I was just helped by that as I heard that lesson studying this week. Thoughts or questions on that? I think since he's been young, he, you know, when he was younger and they wanted him to have all the king's food and he yeah. said no. Yeah. So he started at a young age, so he knew mm. and he kept knowing who God was. Right. Or who he was. Yeah. And he knew he was going to, he, he trusted him. Yeah. From, the, from, from an early age, consistency over time. Uh, I, I like that. Thank you. So I want you to see this, this mutually reinforcing interaction. I want you to consider that as you think about your own life and as we begin to think about making decisions, ethical decisions. We've, have you noticed we have not talked about making many decisions. We've just sort of talked about the philosophy and the theology of ethics. And we're going to eventually uh, get to making decisions. And so how, how does this work? Well, let's take, this, let's take this one step further. If this is uh, action, habits, obedience, let's uh, begin right here. I think we've spent some time on character. So I want to look at the next two, obedience or behavior, and then results or fruit. Uh, and as I've been studying the text for this, not, not the biblical text, but just the textbook that I'm using, the, the author, Dr. Grudem, talks about the joys and the blessings of obedience. The joys and the blessings of obedience. Um, do, you, do you know this experience? Uh, I think of a simple example of as, and as, this sort of breaks down a little, but just a simple example as a young child, uh, and your parent comes to you and asks, you know, maybe it's to clean your room, and you do that, and you see that they are pleased with that, and there is a certain satisfaction and a certain joy of uh, obeying, of seeing your, your, your parents happy in your obedience, or perhaps as an employee to a supervisor, uh, doing what you're asked to do, and it being a blessing in the results or in, even in the satisfaction of just knowing that you have done what you've been asked to do. Do you know this experience? Yeah. 
Good. <laughs> this is good. Seems Malachi 3.10 comes to my mind. Okay. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Yeah. Yeah, just the generosity. So uh, being generous in our gifts. And the Lord says, you're generous. I'm, I'm, you just test me in this. I will be generous to you and make your storehouses overflow. There is a blessing in um, being obedient. Uh, I want to just run through some scriptures. So uh, let me see. Let me make sure I'm doing the right ones here. Ephesians 5. If you want to go there, Ephesians 5. And start in verse, I, I, I would say we could start in verse 7, uh, earlier in chapter 5, verse 3, Paul is saying we put away sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness, start in verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7, therefore do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Those are familiar words in this study, good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, one of the joys, one of the blessings of obedience is pleasing the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we can actually please God in our actions? That He's happy with what our uh, with, with our actions. Here's another one. Um, Hebrews 13 and verse 16. Do not Neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now may the God of peace, uh, who brought you, I'm in Hebrews 13, who brought you again from the dead, uh, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, there's obedience, do his will, working in us that which is Pleasing in His sight. To do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. We can be pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes in his, uh, the comments that Dr. Grudem has in his book, he says, sometimes in the circles that we're, we're in, because we understand the depravity of man. We understand the wickedness of our hearts prior to coming to Christ. And that old flesh that we fight. And we think, well, I don't, can anything, our, all our righteousness is a filthy rag. Because you can hear this a lot, and the heart is deceived. These are true things, but as children of God, by faith in walking in obedience, can we not please the Lord? And of course we can, just in these two verses here. We can please God. And that's a good thing. And we can be convinced of that. It's good to be reminded of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. To 
because we understand we're not where we want to be in our, in our progressive sanctification. Right? I want to be more like Christ. I want to imitate him more. I fall so far short. And so we can be weighed down um, in troubled, uh, why, Lord, am I not further along? And um, why, how can, I, can I even please you? And these are the reminders. I'm glad you said it. it's good to be reminded that we can be pleasing to God uh, in, in our obedience. There are, he gives in his book, 17 ways, 17 joys and blessings of obedience. And one of them is being pleasing to the Lord. There's 16 more. Can you think of any others just in our, and how we, what are some joys and in our obedience, joys and blessings in our obedience? Can you think of <clears throat> A clear conscience. Clear conscience. This, that's actually one of his. Yes, for number 10 is a clear conscience. That as I, uh, as I try uh, and, and work out my salvation, as I am yielding, as I'm walking by the Spirit, as I'm saying no to sin, there is a, there, you, you, you actually walk away with a clear conscience. That's one of the results. Before the Lord. Happy relations amongst brothers and sisters, amongst family members. Amongst family members. You, there, is, there, is a, there is fellowship with the Lord, right? When we sin, we, we're not, our justification is not changed. We're, our right standing before God is not changed. There is broken fellowship. Just as when we sin against one another, there is, we need to be reconciled to, to restore that fellowship. So when we're walking in obedience, the joy, one of the joys, one of the blessings is, is full fellowship with the Lord. Good. What else? Fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Walking in, and that's what, this is where we're really going to get into this here as we look at fruit. Uh, fruit of the Spirit. All of these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yeah, you guys are great. Anything else? Eternal reward. Uh, his, his, uh, yeah, that's actually number 17. Increased heavenly reward. Um, 16. Experiencing a greater foretaste of heaven. Like, do you, do you, the blessings of sinless life in heaven, right? And experiencing, we cannot be sinless. There's no sinless perfection this side of heaven. But when we walk in obedience, there is this foretaste of heaven where there will be no sin. I love that. Greater assurance of salvation. Does that make sense? Greater assurance of salvation. I actually am living out what I pro profess to be. I profess to be a follower of Christ. Uh Yeah. I'm going backwards in the 16, 15. Uh, uh, number 14, avoiding God's painful discipline. He disciplines those whom he loves. Uh, sometimes there is, there is the dross that needs to be uh, fired out of us, right? And there is fatherly discipline. That's Hebrews uh, chapter 12. 
we've heard this several times, freedom from uh, slavery to sin. Uh, we've heard this in this class. We've heard this from uh, some of the main sermons in the last month or two. You are no longer a slave to sin. So live out, live out what is true already of you. Um, discovering by experience that God's commands are beneficial. That would be this dynamic here. Discovering by experience that God's commands are beneficial. God's peace, number 11. Uh, we, that sort of goes along with the deeper fellowship with God. Clear conscience is what you said, brother. F- closer fellowship with other Christians, number nine. We've said that. Uh, uh, being an effective witness to unbelievers. Um, when I am walking in faithfulness, I, there, there seems to be this empowerment in some ways to be readily able to speak and to profess to other people in, in, in our witness and in our evangelism and in our ministering to one another. We don't feel so beat down by, by the remaining flesh and our sin. And we're walking by the Spirit. Um, becoming a vessel for, of honorable use. Number six. Now this is interesting. Number five. Making angels happy. I want to actually go there. Go to Ephesians 3. Uh, Ephesians 3. Now this is speaking corporately. And remember uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were together, one of the things that I encouraged is where I'm encouraging myself and all of us is in our one another's. This is one of the most immediate ways to practice Christian ethics is in our one another's. We saw this in Colossians that all of the put on, put off is plural. You all, all of you all, all of us put on, put off and bear one another's burdens and the one another. So this is corporate. But as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, again, this is, uh, let me find my note. Ephesians chapter 3. Okay. Um, uh, Let's start in verse 8, just to pick up some of the phrase here. 3.8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Now watch this, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So as we corporately are practicing Christian ethics in the church, the church, us, in our interaction with one another, this mystery that has been revealed in the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to angels. They see they see the church interacting. They see this, the wisdom of God bringing Jew and Gentile together, breaking down the dividing wall, loving one another, forbearing with one another, all of these things. So that's a, one of the joys and the blessings of obedience, to make angels happy as we obey within, amongst one another. Uh, number four was of pleasing God, which we spent a lot of time on. Number three, expressing our love to God by our actions. Like actually obeying because, Lord, I want to show you that I love you. 
That's John 14. Bringing glory to God by imitating His character. Matthew 5. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. I don't. I need to read it. I don't have it written down. But Matthew 5, um, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That other people will glorify God because they see you and shining your light before others. And then we said, number one, uh, deeper fellowship with God. So 17, 17 ways of the joys and the blessings of obedience. And that's encouraging. Any, any other thoughts on that? So this would be, we've thought, thought a lot about character, and this is obedience, and then I want to talk about fruit. Whitney? That's good. Um, yeah, continuing to practice these things, um, having that fellowship with the Lord as you know what is to be, what is true. There are things that we, you know, when we make decisions, sometimes they're just they're, they're quick decisions, and sometimes they are. The, the the harder the decision, oftentimes the more methodical. And, and the more time space that we need to be able to make decisions. And so there is this process of what do I know to be true? Yeah, we are going to talk about this. What do, I, what do I already know what's true? I don't know ultimately what my decision is going to be yet, but at, in the process, how do we get there? And part of it is just walking in what we already know, right? So we'll, we'll come back to that. I'm glad you said that. John. You know, at the beginning of characters, you know, God's word, God's character, um, I'm thinking of like pragmatism here, where perhaps you start on the opposite end, and so instead of starting over here at God's word, getting character, behavior, results, you're starting from the results and trying to go backwards. Is that effective, or, you know, can that be effective in certain circumstance? Yeah, um, part, part, of, part of the decision-making process, which gets more practical, is, is a consideration of what, will, what might be the results, right? And so you are starting here in terms of, in this decision that I have to make, uh, it's, it's not choosing the color of socks that we would write. It's, we're talking about ethical decisions here. But in this decision that, maybe that's an ethical decision. <laughs> uh, in this decision that I have to make, what might be potential results? There is, uh, even as we think of Proverbs, even as we think of as, as given new hearts, regenerate hearts, uh, Lord, give me discernment on what might potential, might, the potential results might be. Yeah, so I think, I don't know, that that's just kind of thinking through, you know, uh, what might be. I, I, don't, I don't think that necessarily the pragmatism in that sense, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good to think through that. We gently approach our children backwards. We can't actually change their character. We'll preach the word to them. God changes their hearts. Mm-hmm. But what we affect 
is there behavior by the results that we help control? And we help them choose good habits, good behaviors by the results we give them right. in the hopes that their character is yep. formed well. Yeah, character formation, spiritual formation. Ultimately, uh, it has to be a work of the Spirit, right? It has to be a work of a regenerate heart, of, of God changing our hearts. But you're right. Uh, that's a great example. I can't do anything about this. I can do this about me, maybe, you know, as I've been given a new heart. I can't do anything about this about any other person, including my children. But I can work in these two areas here, is what you're saying, to be help, help reinforcing this, that it may conf, conf, uh, uh, provide or to work toward conforming or, uh, <laughs> their, their character. That's good. And I think that's why in parenting in particular, they, you know, God illustrates that instruction and discipline. Instruction feeding the character, discipline feeding behavior. And yeah, results. yeah. Good. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about, okay, so let, let me just conclude obedience. Um, so we have been created in Christ for good works, which have already been prepared for us to walk in. That's Ephesians 2.10. We can please God, um, and these are my notes. Yes, we can. Imperfect, but, but, but we want to see it as pleasing to God and not that, I'm just, everything I do is, is there's, there, it's, it's wickedness and it's evil. No. Like we can please God. Yes, imperfectly, not perfectly, but he is pleased by our desire to show him our love and our obedience. Uh, all those things that we said, those 17 items. And so here's the phrase, motivated by love, proceeded from, by, uh, proceeding from faith, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can be pleasing to God. Um, that is Colossians. I'll just read this. Um, Colossians 1, 9 and following. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, speaking to the church at Colossae, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritualism and understanding. Verse 10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Being strength, that's the Spirit working. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You hear that? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Why is this possible? Verse 13, because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a great summary. So that's Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Okay. All right, let's, let's talk about fruit. Uh, and where I want to go is John 15. You know this, you're familiar with this as well. We're not there yet in our sermon series. John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. When you think about fruit in Scripture, and especially in the New Testament, what, uh, what, what, what categories can we think about when we think about fruit? 
We've already actually said it. Somebody already mentioned it this morning. Okay, well, the, 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 yeah, there could be results. There could be, depending on this, there could be good fruit, bad fruit, good evil, or good, uh, yeah, good fruit, evil fruit. But when Scripture speaks of um, us as, as Christians, as believers, what, in what ways is fruit, how can we think about fruit in our own lives? You know this. Okay. Somebody said it. Abiding in Christ. Somebody said it. Fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so that would be, as we think about fruit in that sense, maybe two different senses of fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, in that sense, we're talking about character, right? Quality, virtue, Christ-like character. Love, joy, peace, patience. Galatians. Okay. What would be another sense of how we would think of fruit? So there's character or virtue. Yeah, it's just the fruit of kingdom, the kingdom, fruit of kingdom work. And so um, we know virtuous character, we would think of Galatians, but fruit in another sense would be being serviceable to the Lord or, or being in service to the Lord. When you think of fruit of a tree or fruit of the ground, what is that? That's produce, right? What's produced in our lives? So John chapter 15. You know this, and the key verse, starting in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit. I think particularly that talking about bearing fruit is, is, is fruitfulness, not necessarily character, although that's included, but fruitfulness, produce, production. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that, here it is, bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Drop down to verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words in you, abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so be my, and so, uh, did I miss that? And so prove to be my disciples. Matthew Henry on his commentary in this particular passage, he says this, we must be fruitful. This is Matthew Henry. We must be fruitful. From a vine we look for grapes, and from a Christian, we look for Christianity. This is the fruit. And so he gives some things. A Christian temper and disposition. A Christian life and conversation. A Christian devotion and Christian design. We must honor God and do good and exemplify the purity and power of the religion we profess. This is bearing fruit. The disciples here, he's speaking, must be fruitful as Christians in all the fruits of righteousness and as apostles in diffusing the savor of the knowledge of Christ. We must be fruitful. Um, I don't want to spend, and we've already run out of time, I don't want to spend too much time on that. I just want to think through what it would be what, when we're think, thinking about character, behavior, and results. Results, we're talking about fruit. 
for the kingdom, being serviceable to the Lord, um, talking about productivity and, and the vine and the branches. Paul says in Philippians, um, I don't know what I should do if I should be uh, with you, if I should remain with you. And he says in Philippians 1.22, um, in his great to live as Christ and to die as gain, for 21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, if I am to live in the flesh, and he's speaking to the church in Philippi, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Amen? Uh, but to remain in the flesh is more, more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Fruitful labor amongst brothers and sisters. Okay? All right. I, can I introduce this? And then we're going to just have, we've run out of time, but I, I want to at least give a taste of next time. So introduction to ethical decision making. I want to give you a new definition. Okay, so our definition that we've been working with for the last six weeks is what are those acts, attitudes, and character traits that are pleasing God and those that are not. We're not leaving that behind. We want to keep that in mind. Here's another definition from another professor, another uh, scholar, pastor, uh, teacher. John Frame, you may be familiar with him. Here is his definition of ethical decision-making. Christian, Here it is. Christian ethical decision-making is the application of God's revelation to a problem by a person. That's it. Christian ethical decision-making is the application of God's revelation applying God's word, applying what he's told us to a problem, whatever that is, by a person. All right, so we have God's revelation, we have the situation, and we have me, we have the person. It's got to make that decision, and maybe the other people that are involved. Does that make sense? Okay, Christian uh, decision-making. So when we come to, and this would get to Whitney's point, when we come to ethical decision-making, we are in some way asking... What is God's will for me in this situation? Whatever the situation is, there's a million choices. What is God's will for me in this situation? And so I'm going to apply God's revelation to this problem, this situation, and, and I'm going to be doing it. So you have a person involved, you have a situation, and you have God's revelation. So the process, how do we make decisions? What must we consider? What factors, what variables, what questions should we ask when we make decisions? Now, we make decisions all the time, every day, lots of them. Sometimes you come home with decision fatigue. I've, I've made decisions all day. I don't want to make any more decisions. Right? We, that's somehow I, sometimes how I feel when I get home. Uh, but we make them all the time, and sometimes it's just, you know, out of sight. We don't, we don't really think of the process. We just make the decision. And other times, as I said earlier, when, when we have a significant ethical decision to think through, hopefully there's a time, there's some time that we can meditate and think about, pray about, do all these things. But what is the process? And so <laughs> that's where I want to go next week.
And we'll pick it up there, okay? Let me pray for us as we uh, move into our time of worship. Our Father, we're grateful for this morning, again, the time to reflect and to think about the joys and the blessings of, of being obedient. And I pray that you would help me, you would help all of these um, by your Spirit, that we would walk faithfully um, by your Spirit and the power of your Spirit, understanding your Word, that we might joyfully submit and love you and obey you. And so we, we ask for that as we think about bearing fruit. Not, not that we may be saved, we're, we're saved, we're justified, but that way that we may show our love for you and make the angels happy and have deeper fellowship with you and all of these things that we talked about. So we need you desperately. We're, we're weak, we're, we're needy. And I pray that you would help us in these things. And I pray for this next hour, Lord, that you would go before us and that it would be a joy to enter into worship um, and to celebrate uh, the gospel and all that you have given us in Christ. So bless Pastor Logan, bless those who are leading, and bless us as we participate. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.